Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. The little girl finally got to attend a wedding for the first time. While in the church, the girl asked her mother, Why is the bride dressed in white? The mother replied to the girl, Because white is the color of purity, and it's a sign of happiness, and it's the happiest day of her life, so she wears white. After a little bit, the little girl looks up at her mother and says, But then why then is the groom wearing black? Good questions. Shortly after tying the knot, a young married couple started arguing over who should make the coffee. Being a good Christian woman, the wife went to the scriptures for answers. She said that the Bible specifically stated that the men should be the ones, men should be the one to make coffee. Puzzled, the husband asked her, where in the Bible does it say that? Very confidently, you got it, the Hebrew uh, he, the wife opened up her Bible and it says right here, he brews, he brews. Okay. Better quit. Okay. All right. We're looking at God's math on uh, Wednesday nights, just uh, just a little interesting study to look at uh, numbers, not numerology. Numerology is like horoscopes and occult. We're not into that. We don't believe numbers have power to, um, you know, predict your future or declare your future or anything like that. But it is significant that God uses numbers. He mentions numbers so often and uh, specific numbers. Uh, the big catch that uh, Peter and John brought in, Jesus, the scripture specifically says there's 153 fish. It's like, wow, why was that in the Bible? There's a reason. Every time there's something specific, God is in the details. There's a reason for that. And uh, so we need to search these matters out. So tonight we're looking at God's math about number five. And I love number five because number five is the number of grace. Many, many times you'll see a five associated with the grace of God. I need to, we need to clarify, when we say the grace of God, what are we talking about, the grace of God? Grace is something like, sometimes it's like smoke. It, it's hard to get a hold of. You, you can see it, the effects of it and so forth in someone's life, but it's, it's kind of hard to define the grace of God. But typically the traditional definition is unmerited favor it's the unmerited favor of God and that's true it's the loving kindness of God everything we get from God we get because of his grace and so but it's it's more than just unmerited favor like salvation and so forth it's also an ability that God gives us to be able to do things the spiritual gifts you know are grace gifts it's an ability to do something that you, you could not do without that, that gift of grace. 
And uh, so we're going to look at this number just briefly tonight and share a few things that I think will get your curiosity up. David, the Bible says, picked up five smooth stones for his bully, Goliath. Why does the Bible say that? Why do we, why do, we don't know all the details, a lot of details of the Bible, but the Bible specifically gave us five smooth stones. Why? We don't, we don't know the, the real answer to that. We all can speculate to that. But he picked up five. And I think, whether he knew that or not, knew the reasoning for why, I think it all has to do with grace, because by grace he was going to overcome an ability, a, a, a bully that was much larger and stronger than he had the capability of to doing as a little boy. So this was going to manifest the grace of God at work in his life. How many of you grew up with a bully? Raise your hand. How many of you were bullies? Raise your hand. All right, we're, we're going to talk to you guys after <laughs> When I was a kid, I had a bully, and he would pin me against the wall at school, and he'd threaten me, and, and, and I was afraid of him. And this went on from, uh, through junior high school until I was, became a teenager. And one day, I saw this movie, the original movie that came out called Walking Tall. Great movie. And it's a true story about a sheriff who picked up a fence post and went and cleaned house and stood up against people and organized crime and all this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, it's a true story. How much the movie's realistic, I don't know. But anyway, when I saw that movie, it inspired me and it infused me with a courage. And you know what? I need to stand up to my bullies. I need to quit cowering down. I need to quit running away. I need to stand up to them and fight to the finish. If I perish, I perish. That kind of that was the kind of when I saw this movie, that's what came into me. I'm not going to back down anymore. In fact, after the movie, I went looking for him. That's how inspired I was. I went looking for him and then when I found him, I didn't cower down. He saw courage in my eyes that he probably never saw before. And I stood in his face, and with the determination to fight to the finish if necessary, it was like all of a sudden I had supernatural courage that I didn't have before. I was not going to back down. And guess what? He backed down. Didn't even have to fight. See, the grace of God is like that. The grace of God is like that. It's giving you an ability to overcome something that you otherwise cannot overcome. That's what grace does to you. David experienced the grace of God to face Goliath. Grace is for underdogs. Anybody feel like an underdog? It's for you. This is your day. This is your number. Grace is for underdogs. People say things like this using the word of grace. They say, by the grace of God, I quit smoking or I quit drinking or I quit drugs or whatever it may be. Or by the grace of God, I, I was able to overcome the death of a loved one or a child or spouse or something like that. By the grace of God, I graduated. I was able to finish a course or whatever. And that's not wrong, the wrong use of the word grace because that's saying by God's ability, God's favored help, God helping me, I was able to do this and do that. That's not wrong. 
You know, no one would ever be saved if it wasn't for grace. You understand? You, of all grace tabernacle, people should know that. And we know Ephesians 2, 8, 9, by grace are you saved. It wasn't by grace plus your good works. It wasn't by grace plus, it was by grace. The grace of God, you're saved through faith. Your faith in God's grace, that's how everybody gets saved the same way. It's, it's a gift from God. God just gives it. It's not of works. You don't earn it. Lest any man should be able, would ever be able to stand up and boast. So everything we receive from God, starting with salvation and everything after that, healing, whatever, it's all by grace. You don't earn it. It's by grace. Now the scripture, that the one scripture you need to know if someone ever asks you, how do I get right with God? It's, it, you've heard this and me preach on this enough. It's if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, my Lord, he's my Lord and my God, I believe, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in what? Righteousness. So once you're saved, you are righteous. That means you have no sin. Zero. There's some false teaching that goes around that People sometimes say, well, okay, when you get saved, that means all your sins have been forgiven, uh, you know, that, that day. So you've got to make sure that you've confessed and repent of any sins in the future. Otherwise, you could die in your sins. That's a false teaching. And probably maybe some of you have been caught up in that at one time. or That's a fearful way to live. When Jesus died for us on the cross, when he died 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins at that time were future sins? Oh, yeah. So all your sins were paid for. Not just up to that day. Okay? So now you are righteous. How many people born again? No, no doubt. Raise your hand. Okay. You're righteous. You're as righteous in your spirit as you're ever going to be. You have no sin. Even if you just committed sin, you are still righteous. Because righteousness has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what he did. Now, there's a mentality in religion. We have to change some of the way we think. For example, the word righteous is found 555 times in the Bible. What a coincidence. Five, five, five. Grace. Righteous people... Do righteous things. Would you agree? Question. Righteous people do right things. Right people do right, right deeds, good deeds, right? But righteousness or doing right things is not what makes you righteous. Are you with me? Okay. Now here's a question. Put your thinking cap on. Can a righteous person do unrighteous deeds? You were quick to answer that. Do you know why? You've had experience as a righteous person doing unrighteous things. Another question, does an unrighteous deed of a righteous person make them unrighteous? Thank you. 
If I would ask that in many other churches right now, they would hesitate long before they would answer. But you've had grace preached to you over and over and over again, Wednesday nights and, and, and Sundays and taught here with our teachers and all that, so that you are grace people. Jesus is grace person. And you understand it has nothing to do with you. The scripture for this is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Jesus became sin on the cross. That's why God turned his back. That we might be made the righteousness of God. Not just the righteousness of man, but the very righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God. That's why we can go into his presence at any moment. That's why we can just pray and talk to God right now. That's why he lives with us 24-7 inside our, inside our temple. Because he made us righteous. We're righteous 24-7. Even if we do something unrighteous. Now, if that's hard for you to swallow, it's because you've got a big, big dose of religion still in you. Righteous people can do unrighteous things, but it doesn't make them unrighteous. If it did, it would mean that the cross of Christ was weaker than sin. Are you with me? Okay. So we must understand righteousness is who I am, not what I do. It's who I am because now Christ is in me and I am in Christ. It's who I am. I am a Christian because Christ is in me. I'm not righteous because of what I do. I'm righteous because he made me righteous. He gave me that gift. Let that settle. Let's think for a moment. Let's step, let's step back in the Old Testament days for a moment. Let's say it's Passover season and we're back in the Old Testament time. And you need to bring a lamb for sacrifice. For yourself, for your family. Finally, you find the right lamb that doesn't have a, a blemish. You travel carefully with the lamb because you got to go see the priest. And the priest has to examine the lamb in Jerusalem. So you reach Jerusalem. You have this appointment to see the priest at a certain time to bring your lamb. He's going to examine the lamb. And you look at yourself. You think, oh, man, I'm a mess. I've been traveling. I stink. I haven't had a bath. My clothes are filthy. I'm a mess. I, I hate to go in and, 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 and look like this. I, I wonder if people are going to see how filthy I look. So he goes anyway. He has to go. He doesn't have time to clean up. And he's concerned about how he looks. Why is his worry misplaced? Who is the priest examining the lamb, not him. See, God looks at Jesus, not you. He doesn't see your filthiness. Joe came to church tonight totally not properly dressed. <laughs> I had to mess with him because he told me that himself. He was in a hurry. 
you know how Joe and Lee always dressed to the hilt anyway. So, so he came in tonight, and he's he's apologizing for not for not dressing right. So I had to pick on him for a moment. So he's totally not he's not qualified to be here. <laughs> Elder of the church ought to know better. Look at you! You didn't even shave. I think you get in demerits for that. In religion, you would. But see, God's not looking at you. He looks at Jesus. Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus and said, I find no fault in him. And he was right. There is no fault in Jesus. The greatest thing about grace, when, when, when Grace Tabernacle started, I started studying the subject of grace more than ever. That we're, we're grace tabernacle. We're going to be grace tabernacle. We've got to know more about grace. And I, I was surprised to, to learn that I didn't know that much about grace from a traditional church. But over the years, I studied and studied and meditated and listened to good grace teachers and preachers. And there are, there's some great ones out here that preach, teach grace. And I tell you how you, one of the ways you recognize grace. Grace sounds too good to be true, but it's true. When you hear grace preached, you're going to say, that's just too good to be true. But it's true. And that's, how, that's one of the ways you recognize it's grace and not law or works or religion. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's dead now, but a great preacher, and he was a preacher of Westminster Abbey for, for some time. He said this famous quote, and I love this. And this was a conservative uh, Anglican, I think he was, preacher. He said, when you preach grace, unless your conscience accuses you of license, in other words, you know, hey, you, just, you can do whatever you want. Unless your conscience accuses you, you're preaching license, you haven't preached grace. You've got to let that sink in. He's not saying you can just do whatever you want to do. He's saying when you truly preach grace, it almost sounds like you're telling everybody you can just do whatever you want to do. But that's not what, that's not what grace is. But grace is too good to be true, but it's true. You can tell when you hear a message of grace, and you can tell when you hear a message of law because it has condemnation in it, and it demands works from you. So this subject of grace is huge. The, the ultimate over of all overcoming power of God was raising Jesus from the dead. Jesus' body was invaded with, we could say, five wounds on the cross, his arms, his feet, and his side. Now, I know he wore a crown of thorns and so forth, but that wasn't the full puncture of the body like these other wounds were and so forth. So you could say there's the great demonstration of grace right there. Do you know that the holy anointing oil in the Old Testament had a very special formula? It was not allowed to be duplicated for anything else. And it was made of five ingredients. wonder why it mentions five. Grace. Grace. Interesting. Other places it would look at five. The pool of Bethesda had five porches specifically mentioned in Scripture. Why do we need to know those details? This was the place where Jesus healed the lame man who had been lame uh, since birth. And when uh, he, Jesus approached him and said, you know, you want, to be, you want to be well? And his answer basically was, I don't have anybody to help me get in the water when the water was stirred. They believed 
that a myth that a, an angel would somehow come down at a certain time and the water would stir miraculously. Whether it was an angel or I, I don't know, but that's what they believed. And the first one that got in the water, they were supernaturally healed. So that must have happened to some people. But he said, I have no man to help me. I don't have a man. He's looking for a man to help him. I don't have a man to help me. We don't have a man to help us other than the man, God, Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus healed him right there to pull Bethesda with five porches. Interesting, the word Christ is found 555 times in the Bible. 555 means grace is complete. Christ is the complete sacrifice. There's nothing else you need to add to him. He's fully grace. He is the grace of God incarnate. And the word Satan is found only 55 times in the Bible. I did a study on the outer, the uh, wilderness tabernacle when we first started Grace Tabernacle in the upper room, and I got a model of the wilderness tabernacle, and I had to build it and put it together, which was good for me to painstakingly put all these pieces together and I made it put it on a big board so people could see the wilderness tabernacle and I preached on every part of it every week and did a whole series for a number of weeks on the wilderness tabernacle and the meaning behind every piece of furniture there everything had tremendous significance and just for the number five shows up in the grace in the wilderness tabernacle multiple times the brazen altar was size five by five and and uh, the the outer curtains that were around the wilderness tabernacle were five foot tall god gave specifics of why he wanted things a certain way he's he was implementing and teaching grace and you see up there it had 60 pillars that held this white curtain on the outer court 20 on each side, 10 in front, 10 in the back, total number of 60. 12 is the number of government in the Bible, 12, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, things like that. So 12 is the number of government, 5 is the number of grace. So God is saying that he wants his government of his people to be a government of grace. His church is to be a government of grace. Are you with me? Not a government of law, but a government of grace and graciousness and so forth. So it, our, our mission here while we're here is to grow in grace. We receive grace at salvation, but we need to grow in grace as well. So we're to be growing in grace. Second Peter 3.18 says this, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we're not just to grow in the knowledge of God up here. We're to grow in the grace to be like Him, to act like Him, treat one another like Him, deal with enemies like Him. We're to be like Him. So we grow in likeness of Him, and, and, and especially in governing His church and so forth. His church needs to grow in that grace so that we govern like he governs us. Scripture says, uh, 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, and in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love, see that you also abound in this grace. So you need to keep growing in the grace of God. And God will make sure that you have opportunities to do that. I'm learning to grow in the grace of God. And I think I, think I, I have grown since I first began to study grace, and I've grown a lot tremendously a lot and still got a lot to grow in the area of grace uh, since the beginning of Grace Tabernacle. And um, one of the ways I would recommend all of you to do this is I would recommend that you pay attention, pay attention to details. Every day, the Holy Spirit will highlight something to you, and it may be so subtle at first that you could just let it fly by and not give it another thought. When I say highlight something to you, it may, he'll emphasize something to you. It may be a song you hear. It may be a word. It may be a scripture. It may be something that's happened to you repeatedly. You've heard the same thing or whatever it is. And it's just for a quickening moment, your spirit is trying to pick up on God's radar that, that God is saying something. He's trying to show you something here. It's not a knock-you-down-on-the-ground uh, lightning bolt moment. It's just a real subtle boom. There it is. And if you're not paying attention to the detail, it'll fly by. And you'll totally forget it because you get busy doing stuff. So what I'm saying is you've you got to have a record. You've got to keep a notebook handy. And write down things it's not for anybody to read just write down today i talked to so and so and this just kind of stood out to me i read this scripture today and this just really stood out to me i heard this song and it, or i woke up this morning with a song how many of you wake up in the morning many times you hear a song that's significant that's like god trying to set your uh the rudder of your ship in that day starting with praise and getting your mind set on him that's significant there's no such thing as coincidence for a child of God. So he, God is in the details, and some, it's not the big things, it's, it's the little things. Now, to me, this, I can tell you folks this, but I can tell other people this, and they just think, well, you're just a kook, you know. But every time I see a red cardinal flies right in front of me, to me, that's significant. That's just like God, to me, over and over and over again, he's done this to me, just to say, like, see, I'm showing you. I'm right here. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Because I just love the red cardinal. And I don't see him all that often. So, but when I see one, I go, thank you, God. Thank you. There's little significant things that are special between you and God. These are like a little love notes that's God giving you. I love you. I want you to know I'm with you. I'm for you. Little things. He's just doing little things throughout the day that you notice. It may not mean anything to anybody else, but, but you notice. Now, for example, last week, if you were here, I shared about the number four, about creation, four corners of the earth and four winds, four seasons, all that stuff. And the, and the number of uh, four, how it, it's a significant number relating us to the creation, causing us to look to the maker. And in preparing that message last week, Tuesday before Wednesday, I went to the hospital to visit somebody. I just happened to look down at my phone. I'd just been in my office preparing this message for number four. 
And I looked down at my phone, and lo and behold, at the exact moment, I just happened to see what time it was, 4, 4, 4. So I just, yeah, that's interesting, God. Thank you. I just kind of tucked that, my phone back in my pocket. And, Thank you, God, you know. That could have been coincidence. That's how I kind of look at first thing. I'm thinking about 4, been pre- preparing a message on number 4, then I see 4, 4, 4. Okay, thank you, God. That's awesome. Well, the next day I come in here, and I come in here and praying before the Wednesday night service like I do, and I get up, and after a while, I go back to my office. I sit down, just pull out my phone to see what time it is. Two times in a row, one day after another, and I'm preaching that night on number four. Is God in the details? I don't believe in coincidence. I'm sorry, I don't, you can say, you call it what you want, luck or what, no, I, I believe God is, I don't know what he's saying, so I came here and I even shared that with you folks, and Bruce comes up to me afterwards, and he says, you know what you ought to do is you ought to just kind of look through the Bible, you know, Psalms and Isaiah and places, it, and look for, you know, chapter 4, verse 44, or chapter 44, verse 4, and see if there's anything significant, you know, and that was good. Good advice, good counsel coming from the teacher. So I did that. And I went home and I looked through a lot of books of the Bible. And I found one that when I found it, I went, hmm, that, that one resonates with me. That, that one just means something to me. I don't know what, but it means something to me. And here it is, Ezekiel 44, 4. Read it out loud with me. I don't know why, but I read other script. But but this one just kind of like, hmm, hmm. That that that's you. You need to hang on to that. So I wrote it. I wrote it down in my book, and I noticed, you know, I wrote it all down. But these are things happening during my week, and I wrote and I wrote that down. Okay. You put it together. I don't know what it all means yet, but I but I have a record. Because. Sometimes what you're going to do when you're trying to figure out what God's telling you, he talks to you like in through riddles or parables sometimes because he wants the interaction with you. But to know what God's doing, you have to, it's like stringing popcorn with a needle and string. You get a little something from God. You put that kernel on there. You get another one. A few days later, you get a couple more, and you eventually put it together, and then after a while, you can see what God is trying to show you. But if you don't have a record, you'll miss it. 444 on your clock won't mean anything to you. It's gone. You've lost it. God was trying to just give you a little, would you, would you take a little taste and let's see if you'll go further. He's just teasing you. Will you you want to go further? And, and then you let it go because you weren't paying attention. You got busy. And we all do it. See? So this past Monday morning, we have intercession in here and everybody's invited to intercession. It's a wonderful time. It's different every week. And we were in the, in the sanctuary this uh, Monday and I was sitting right over there in front of Joey and I just come in and the music was playing and I'm just being still and listening. Nobody was praying out loud. And an intercessor comes over to me and says these words and said more, but I, I caught this and wrote it down quickly. These words, 
the glory of his presence is going to come on you and swallow up all the darkness and overwhelm you with his glory. Glory, Ezekiel 4, 44, 4, 44, 4, 44. Hello? Why does God speak such mysteries? I don't know. He just, he's God and he can do what he wants. He probably wants to see how serious are you really wanting to have fellowship with me. How much will you believe that I'm in the details of your life? I send a cardinal to you just to encourage your heart. I make the wind chimes just to blow to remind you that even when you don't see anything working, the Holy Spirit is moving. I mean, he does that to me. He does that to you too because God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you and he won't do any more for me than he will do for you. Each and every one of you have special, special moments with God that you're not paying attention to. And you can't put it together. So it doesn't make any sense. 444 comes up on your phone. Well, I don't know what that means. Are you understanding We've got to be paying attention all the time because God's 24-7. Your dreams at night, God's speaking to you through your dreams. Because sometimes that's the only time you'll be quiet. <laughs> or you'll give him your full attention. You quit watching the news so much and pay attention to him. He wants to talk to you. So coincidence, you be the judge of that. You ain't going to convince me. Now, but if I had not kept a record, hadn't written it down, and how many times does Scripture say, write it down, keep a record, write it down, write down things. When you're walking with God, you've got to have a notebook because he, he gives you a little bit here, a little bit there. He doesn't give you the whole thing at once. He gives you a little bit. It's a trail. And whatever impressions and thoughts you have, don't second guess it. Just write it down and say, now, God, I don't know... This is you or not. This is an impression I have. Write it down. I believe America has been marked by the grace of God. No doubt. When, when you look at the history of America, and by the way, we have a great course here on Wednesdays uh, about uh, Constitution and your rights and all that kind of stuff, and, uh, and it's a great course. It's a video-driven course, and uh, Burton and Laura lead that class. That's open to anybody, and, Boy, it's, it's something that you ought to think about going to. I've, I want to go myself, yet I haven't been there, but I'm, I'm planning on going there, Lord willing, this next week. One of the songs of America is uh, America the Beautiful. God shed His grace on thee. He has. What is that? What does it look like? We don't realize it, but there's grace. America is a unique country that has grace all over its history. It is absolutely amazing. You know, just the Washington Monument alone, the Washington Monument, do you know, is exactly 555 feet high and 5 inches. Why? It's number of grace. And at the very top, in Latin, are words that mean praise be to God. 555 and 5 inches. America is, has survived 
only because of the grace of God. Not because of his great leadership, only because of the grace of God. And I just thought this was an interesting fact. Uh, it was actually May 5th, 1945, that the Nazis ended their occupation of Europe. They were about to take over the whole world. But it all ended on 5-5-45. Grace. Your body is a mark of grace. You have five fingers on each hand. So you can accomplish things. How? By the grace of God. You have five toes on each foot. So you can walk and make progress in this life by the grace of God. You have five senses so you can perceive your surroundings by the grace of God. You are covered with grace, my friend. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. And I had to top all this off. This is my favorite picture right here. That's my office. What's the number? I didn't choose that. Whenever they numbered is five, I said, today I got to make sure I put that up there so you see, hey, I'm a man of grace. Pastor needs to be a man of grace. The people need to be people of grace. And so what I say to you today, pay attention to the details this week. Now there's Jenny. Look at her. Hers says number one. You snuck that in there. That was not supposed to be in there. <laughs> she said, you're number five, but I'm number one. <laughs> the Lord will repay you for that. <laughs> Pay attention to the details in this week, especially when things are repeated to you more than once. Just, just pay attention. I'm not saying that there's anything you're to search out by that, but just write it down. And it may not, it may come clear as you go along and you string all that stuff together and then you go back and you, you have a record. You remember things. The, the faintest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. You cannot remember. You have to write stuff. That's why you should always bring a pad of paper with you and a pen, not to write down everything I say and every note, but write down significant things that you need to go back to and think about and ponder and muse on later. Muse just means to think about. You need to muse. You need to meditate. You need to think on it. Amen, Joey? Amen, brother. All right, well, let's just stand up and just praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you for your grace, God. We're marked with grace. You are a God of grace. Hallelujah. Jesus is the revelation of God's grace and truth. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. It's our privilege here on this earth to be recipients of grace and be givers of grace. Now, may we grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Be sure to welcome people here tonight. And uh, sometimes people don't want to shake hands and don't be offended if they do. Some because of the virus, if they do, don't be offended by that. You know, we just acknowledge that. 